Well, good morning, family. I encourage you and invite you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter 6 this morning. We're going to begin a seven-week study this morning. Well, Bob and Bill had made a little wager on the Super Bowl game, and Bob won. He won $50 off Bill. Uh, after the game, Bill was about to leave, and um, Bob said, Hey, Bill, I'll tell you what, I'll, um, I'll give you a chance to win your money back. Just one bet. If you win, then you get your $50 back. And if I win, then you have to wear my Kansas City Chiefs hat for the next month. And Bill said, sounds like a good deal. I'll take that. What do I have to do? And Bob said, well, I bet you can't recite the Lord's Prayer. Bill stood there for a couple of minutes and struggled with his thoughts and Then he finally began rather hesitatingly, said, well, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And Bob stood there just incredulous as Bill was speaking, and he shook his head, and he said, Bill, unbelievable. I never thought you knew that. (laughs) Well, as we begin this study over the next six weeks, seven weeks, looking at the Lord's Prayer, hopefully when we're done, we'll know it a whole lot better than Bob and Bill. More importantly, I hope that it will grow and deepen our prayer life. The great evangelist Dwight L. Moody once said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught His disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Moody was right in that the disciples look through the Gospels, you will never find them ask Jesus, to teach them anything except in Luke chapter 11, the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Now, Luke 11, we find the Lord's Prayer also here in Matthew 6. If it bothers you that Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer on two different occasions, you wonder, well, did... uh, The New Testament writer is confused. Is there a problem here? Is there an error? It's not an issue. Remember that Jesus often taught many things in many, the same thing, I should say, in many different venues. He was a traveling preacher. And so he would teach something here. He would teach it there. He would teach it again there. He not only taught it, taught the same thing to different audiences. I think he often taught the same thing to the same audience, particularly to the disciples. Because they tend to forget. might surprise you, but even pastors sometimes teach the same lesson to the same people. I've done it. Pastor Dyer has done it. We do it because we all need refreshing. We need to be reminded. 
And so we come this morning and for the next few weeks to be reminded as the disciples asked in Luke 11, how to pray. In Actually, next week we'll start digging into the Lord's Prayer, which begins in verse 9, but today we're going to look into the verses just before that. We're going to be looking at chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 5 through 8, because in these verses, Jesus teaches us how not to pray. Sometimes before we learn what we need to do, we need to unlearn what we've been doing. We need to break some bad habits. We need to get rid of some baggage. In these verses, Jesus tells us some important things about what we're not to do when we pray. We begin in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Jesus says the first thing that you and I need to learn not to do, and we need to not do as we pray, is we are not to be like the hypocrites. And as we look at this and what the hypocrites are and what they do, what is the problem? Verse 5, He says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. Say, wait a minute, is that a problem? Absolutely not. Problem isn't that, isn't that they love to pray. That's a good thing. Matter of fact, he says, when you pray, here's what you need to do and here's what you don't need to do. Praying is expected of us as followers of Jesus. The problem isn't that they love to pray. He says, they love to pray standing. Maybe is that the problem? Is, it, is they're praying in the wrong posture? They're standing when they should be kneeling. We all know you're supposed to kneel when you pray. Or are you? Or are you supposed to be sitting down? Or are you supposed to be laying on your face? Reality is the Bible doesn't dictate a position of posture. They love to pray standing in the synagogues. Maybe that's the problem. It's where they're praying. The synagogue, if you know... The synagogue was a place of worship. There was the temple in Jerusalem, the main place of worship for the Jews, but they had developed the synagogues, the local places of worship. There were many in Jerusalem and throughout all of Israel. But it shouldn't be a problem, I would think, praying in a place of worship, so that's not it. So they love to pray. They love to pray standing in the synagogues. None of that's a problem. And, and on the street corners, maybe that's it. Pious Jews, good Jews, prayed specifically three times a day. Morning, noon, and night. 9 a.m. at noon and 3 in the afternoon. It was not uncommon. They, they would, If they could, they would go to the temple to pray or to a synagogue. But if you couldn't get to one of those places, it was very common just to stop where you are and pray. And so it might be on the street side. So is the issue praying, maybe that they're praying in the street corners? Reality is, it's not located. The problem isn't location. 
The problem comes in the next little phrase. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, and here's the problem, to be seen by men. There's the issue. They, When they were in the synagogue, they positioned themselves in the right place where they were very visible. When they were on the street corner, and literally the street here is the word for a wide road. It's the main drag. It's the main street. It's right where everybody goes and it's at the intersection where you get the most traffic in the most prominent place and there they pray. See, they made sure that they were in a noticeable spot where others who see them can't miss their passion. You can't miss their intensity and the fervency of their prayer. You can't help but overhear the eloquence of the words and the wonderful voice that just melts your heart as they talk in tones that just grip you. Oh, what a, what a pious man. See, that's what they were doing. And Jesus says, don't be like that. When you pray, Jesus says, don't let your focus be on the people who see you praying. In other words, don't pray to impress people. I wonder, is that really a problem for us today? I mean, I know most of you here. I don't know all of you, but I know most of you. And most of you don't go around every day making a display of your prayer life. I don't see you standing out there by Interstate 70, you know. I don't see you walking in here on Sunday mornings and you, oh, yes. And you pray. Really, what does this have to do with us? But I wonder, have you ever, do you ever find yourself more concerned about those who are seeing you and watching you pray than what you're actually praying? Maybe it's in a restaurant where you're in the habit of praying for your food. But maybe it's that you're embarrassed that people are watching. That could be a problem. Or maybe it's that you make a point. You know, you're at work and you want your coworkers to know that you're a Christian. So you make sure that, you know, they see you, bow your head, pray, even though really there's nothing much going through your mind or your lips. Or maybe the church is having a prayer meeting. You're somewhere where folks are praying and really you don't feel moved by God to pray, but you pray because, you know, I can lift up Bill in prayer better than John just did. You know, or whatever. See, it's really subtle, but pride can creep in. And even though it may not be totally a, we aren't doing things totally from a selfish or nefarious motive, but we just, you know, we try to impress with our words. We try to impress with our posture or our voice. Or maybe it's just we try to subtly impress people with, The fact that we are a prayer warrior. 
So that when Bill is talking about his need and how what what a you know problem he's having, we make sure that we say, Bill, I'm going to add you to my prayer journal. Because I don't only pray, I keep a journal, you know. Or you're talking to Sue and you say, Sue, yesterday, after my first hour of prayer, God brought you to mind. I'm sure you've never done any of those things, but I know of folks who have. Jesus says if our motive in prayer is to impress people, we are hypocrites. And our prayers are useless. They're futile. He says they... In, in effect, never get past the ceiling. His exact words are, you have your reward in full. That's all it is. Whatever reward you got by impressing people, that was it. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be like that. Don't pray to impress people. But rather, verse 6, He says, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The word that's there for room is literally the word used for closet. Sometimes a storage closet. Sometimes in, the, in, the, in such a home, in those days, the, that closet in the center of the house was the place where the valuables were kept. In a way, that's a good picture. Jesus says, go and pray in the secret place because that's where the valuables are kept. It's in the secret place. doesn't mean I don't think that you can't pray without a closet. Some people literally have a prayer closet. I don't think that's at all what Jesus is saying, that you have to have a prayer closet. You know, it's time to put the linen somewhere, you know, so we can have a little closet. It's not it. Rather, it's just the idea of going somewhere private. Somewhere where when we're there praying, the focus isn't on people who may or may not be watching us, but our focus is solely on God. Jesus modeled that for us. Read through the Gospels. He frequently went off for private, for personal time to pray. One example, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where He prayed. See, Jesus, not having a house, not having a place of His own, and almost always being with people, He couldn't go into the closet. He just had to go out, find a place. He had His favorite places. He had places where He usually went. I, you may recall on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before He was crucified, that after the Passover meal, they went across the Kidron Valley and it says, Luke chapter 22, it says, Jesus went out and it's easy to overlook this little phrase, as usual. Or in the ESV it says, as was His custom. He went to the Mount of Olives there in the garden. It was there, as you go on, it says, He knelt down and prayed. The Garden of Gethsemane was one of his favorite places to get away, to go and to pray. 
When our motive is to seek God, Jesus says He meets with us there. And He says that God rewards our prayer in the secret place. A prayer that is focused on Him. It's interesting, this in Luke 11, I, I noted that, that Jesus teaches this prayer, this, this uh, model prayer, the Lord's Prayer to the disciples when they ask. Here in Matthew, it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, the longest recorded teaching we have of Jesus, the sermon He preached to the multitudes on the hillside. And you recall it starts in Matthew chapter 5. It goes all the way through the end of Matthew chapter 7. And here it's right in the middle in Matthew 6 we find the Lord's Prayer. But it's actually in a, even in, in the midst of the Lord's Prayer, it's in a section that has a theme. And we get the theme of that section in the first verse of chapter 6. Here it is. It is, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, don't do your righteous acts. Don't do your, your Christian disciplines. Don't do those Christian things that you ought to do and should want to do, but don't do those in front of people to be seen by them. And with each one of these things, He begins with giving. He says, don't do your giving in front of people to be seen. You know, don't make sure that when you're pulling out the stuff to the, your gift to put in the offering plate that you're flashing the you know hundred dollar bills or you're you know somehow letting it be known that you're writing a big check. He says, do it secret, do it quiet. He says because if your reward you'll get it in full. If if that's all it is is to be seen by men, you've got it. He says the same thing as we just saw about prayer, and then in the the last part of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 16 to 18, he says this about fasting. Don't fast to be seen by men, to impress people. Don't do without food or without something as part of your spiritual discipline. Don't do that in order to be seen by people, to appear spiritual. Warren Wearsby, I love what he wrote in his commentary, he said, the most important part of a Christian's life is the part that only God sees. When reputation becomes more important than character, we have become hypocrites. May I say, Jesus isn't saying all this stuff about those folks out there so that we don't become those folks out there He's saying that it's a real danger for all of us in here. There's not a one of us here, if I ask for a show of hands, there's not a one of us here who hasn't been a hypocrite. And I don't ask for a show of hands, but we'd all have to raise our hands. We've all been hypocrites. It's a real danger. And Jesus says, don't let your prayer life become a stumbling block for you. Prayer should be something that benefits us and blesses God and benefits others, but it can be something that 
brings us down if we turn it in our prayer life into something that we gets corrupted by our pride. Where we do it to be seen. This might ask lead us to ask the question, is Jesus forbidding public prayer and corporate prayer when He says, don't do this to be seen, but instead go off to the private place, go into your closet to pray? Is He saying that we should never pray publicly in front of others? We should never pray corporately, gathering together as believers and pray out loud corporately? The answer to that is no, of course not. The Old Testament is full of public prayers and corporate prayer. God didn't change that when we come to the New Testament. Jesus Christ Himself prays publicly. You recall a few chapters later, a few chapters later, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. You remember the story. There and at the feeding of the 5,000, they bring the five loaves and the two fish. And He miraculously feeds all of these folks, 5,000 men plus women and children, a huge crowd. You remember what Jesus did? It says He took the, the loaves and the fish and He blessed them. He prays publicly. That's just one of many examples. He prays from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He prays publicly. He prays at Lazarus' resurrection just before He raises Lazarus from the dead. The apostles pray publicly. The Apostle Paul, uh, one example in the, uh, Acts chapter 27, he's on board a ship that's about to go down. There's, it's not just a small group of folks on the boat. There's 276 people on the boat. And Paul leads them in a prayer meeting. <laughs> he prays and afterwards he says, guys, let's eat, let's have lunch because nobody's going to die. We're going to lose the ship, but nobody's going to die. And in fact, of course, that's what God did. We see the early church praying together, corporate prayer. Acts chapter 1, on the day of Pentecost, they are there and they have been there for days and they have been praying together, it says. One of my favorite stories of the church praying together, Acts chapter 12. Peter has been arrested, put in prison, and many of them have gathered in John's mother's house, Mary's house, and, and there they are praying. And you recall what happens. While they're there praying, God sends an earthquake and a miracle releases Peter from prison. Peter, look around, where do I go? He goes to the house and there they all are praying and he's knocking on the door. A little servant girl comes and, to the door and, and uh, she recognizes his voice and she gets so excited she forgets to open the door. <laughs> but Acts chapter 12 says that, uh, it says that many of them were gathered there praying. By the way, when the little girl goes back and tells the folks that uh, uh, Peter's at the door, they go, you're nuts. You're crazy. And they, they won't go. And, and eventually he keeps knocking and somebody goes and opens it up and there's Peter. They were there praying. They were faithfully praying together, but they weren't really expecting God to do anything. And by the way, before we're too hard on them, don't we do that all the time? We're faithful to pray and really don't expect God to answer. But that's getting really convicting. So I'm going to move on here. Jesus' point here is not to forbid public prayer or corporate prayer, 
But his point is the purity of our motives in prayer. That our public prayers should write out of an existing practice of private prayer. And our public prayer should arrive out of a motive of communing and communicating with God, not in any way seeking man's approval. Jesus is saying the hypocrite only prays when they think the cameras are rolling. <laughs> when they think the eyes are on them, that's when they pray. And the hypocrite's real focus is himself, not God. Be wary of that because it is a temptation for any of us any time. But there's a second issue that Jesus brings up in how we are not to pray. We see it in verse 7 and 8. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Three issues there for us to see. The first, Jesus says, don't pray like the, don't be like the pagans, the, uh, those who are unbelievers, the Gentiles. That word can be translated in several of your translations. It shows up different ways. Pagans, Gentiles, unbelievers. It says three things to be aware of. First, don't pray like them with empty phrases, mindless rituals. Just Constant reciting of phrases that really don't mean anything to you. It's easy to criticize folks who do that, especially when that comes in the form of a little smart aleck kid who sits down at the dinner table and says, you know, can I pray? Sure. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. They do that just to see if anybody's going to, you know, keel over or whatever. It's easy to criticize that, and yet I wonder, do we do any better with our own perfectly theologically correct but mindlessly wrote recital of our meal prayer? Oh, gracious Father, we thank Thee now for this wonderful bounty of food. Amen. Well, it sounds so much better than rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. But if, if we have no more thought in it than that, is it any better at all? That's Jesus' point. It's easy to begin praying without paying attention. Dr. Robert Cook, a pastor and author, passed away about 30 years ago. He once said, all of us have one routine prayer in our systems. And once we get rid of it, then we can really start to pray. There's a danger of falling into routine. John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, said, When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without heart. Wow. Guilty as charged at times, I must confess. Maybe you too. One of the greatest ironies, indeed one of the greatest tragedies, I think, in Christendom is that Jesus 
makes this commandment here. Here's how not to pray. Don't pray with a bunch of mindless words. And then the words that follow this are the words that are most often and frequently repeated mindlessly by most Christians all over the world. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. The very words intended to teach us the opposite are what we do and go and violate the command. What an insult to the Almighty God. And what a tragic loss to us to squander the opportunity for a personal and an intimate and a vibrant and a dynamic communication with God and we substitute that for mindless recital, for a bunch of empty phrases, empty words. It's as foolish and as silly as, you know, you guys out there, you're, you're here, many of you, married with that wonderful person next to you that you've been married to for 20 and 30 years. How foolish and ridiculous it is if your conversation is, Sup? Nothing. What'd you do today? Not much. Mighty warm out. Yep. And the only communication are just these empty cliches. Mindless, empty, empty cliches. What a waste of a relationship of being married to this wonderful person. And yet, marriages often drift into that type of communication. It's tragic in a marriage. How much more tragic when it's our communication with the Almighty God, Maker of the universe, who has opened the door for us to come and talk intimately with Him. He says, don't let that be us. Empty rituals, mindless words. He goes on, he says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like the pagans who pray with lots of words. Prayer, proper prayer is not about the quantity of words. Like in Eastern meditation, which is all about mantras. If you repeat this over and 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 over, maybe it'll get somewhere. Don't be like that. Or it's not about just the words over and over and over. It's about finding the exact right words or the exact right combination of words or the exact right order of words. So if we do everything just right, so if we say it, if we pray our prayer, we start with our Father in heaven and we end with in Jesus' name and we put a few other things in the middle that are just right, it unlocks God's vending machine. See, we've got to get the right words in the slot here. And when we do, we get God's answer. Jesus says it's not about many words or the right words or certain formulas or certain orders. It's about the heart in them. 
Pastors are often the worst about long-winded prayers. How easily pastors and some of us as leaders get in front of folks and we can pray on and on and on and on and on. Dwight Moody said some men's prayers need to be cut short at both ends and set on fire in the middle. (laughs) A lot of truth in that. They think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus says that's not the problem here. Now, by the way, Jesus isn't forbidding long prayers. You might recall Jesus prayed on several occasions all night long. It's not about long prayers. Nor is He condemning praying repeatedly for the same offense. For in fact, Jesus he, he encouraged that. He, he even used an illustration of a, of a widow lady who was being harmed and she went to a, a, a ruler day after day just begging, you know, please give me justice. And Jesus, He taught that to His disciples trying to teach them, the Scripture says, how to pray and never give up. Keep praying. So Jesus isn't against praying for the same thing on Again and again, he's not saying don't ever don't that long prayers are out of line ever. What he is saying is don't think that because we simply pray with long prayers and many words that somehow those hold the key to manipulating God to answer. Rather, long prayers and repeated prayers. As with all of this, it's a matter of the heart. They should arise out of a heart that just is is not willing to let go. God, I keep bringing this before you because this is grip me to the soul. You see. See, here's the real issue with these pagans. The pagans, the unbelievers, they they use these empty rituals, these mindless words, and these many words and these formulas because somehow. They are trying to get a God that they do not know to respond to them. Jesus says, don't be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Unbelievers lack a knowledge of God and they lack a relationship with God. And so all they're focused on is trying to somehow, when they pray, somehow get the attention of this God whom they do not know and who does not know them. We see it illustrated back in 1 Kings. You recall the, the showdown between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. You remember that? And there the, the, the prophets of Baal in this great showdown spend all morning praying to Baal. It says they called in the name of Baal all, from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us! They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. All morning they shouted. Then they begin, the text goes on, they dance around. Still no response. They start cutting themselves, abusing themselves, hurting themselves all through the afternoon. Why? Trying to get an answer? Because conceivably there's this God up there who is unwilling to help, who is uncaring, or who is just distracted? If we make enough noise, if we create enough of a ruckus, 
If we make ourselves sound serious enough, or if we hurt ourselves enough, maybe we can get His pity. He says, that's what unbelievers do. But He says, that's not us. He says, we don't have a God that we do not know. We do not have a God who is unconcerned. He says, we have a Father. Don't be like them for your Father. I know that there are bad fathers in this world. There are some. But most of us didn't have a bad father. And all of us know there are good fathers. And we all know that a good father is not indifferent to his children. A good father is not uncaring about his children. As Jesus said, what father is there who when their child comes you know, and asks for food, you're going to give him, ask for bread, you're going to give him a rock. You know, here, eat this. You know. Don't do that. Jesus says, they pray like that because they're worshiping a God who doesn't even exist. A God they can't know and who can't know them. We worship a God who is our Father. We have a relationship with Him. We have a Father who wants to bless His children like every good father does. Every good dad. And I've met lots of them in my lifetime. Every good dad has no desire for his children but to bless them. You want good for them. How much more our Heavenly Father He wants to bless His children, but He typically waits for His children to ask. He doesn't need to be prodded. By the way, may I say, it's important to say right here, that reality is not true for everyone. Because the Bible is very clear, contrary to popular opinion, the Bible is very clear that not everyone is God's child. It's very popular to say we are all God's children. That's a nice thought. That's a nice sentimental thought. Sounds nice. But it's wishful thinking. It's not true. We saw that back in in Genesis in our recent study. The bad news, though, is not everyone is God's child. But the Bible has great news. And it's that anyone can be God's child. John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received Him, the Him is Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He, that's God, has given the right to become children of God. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, understand this. God is inviting you today to trust in Jesus. And the moment that you trust Him, that you put your faith in Him, the Bible says right here, John 1.12, you become the Son of God. You are His child. When you call upon Him, He hears. He's a good Father. The last part of that verse says that don't be like them 
We don't need to pray like the pagans do because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. When we pray, we don't pray to inform God. We're, we don't have to come, God, I, I know you've just been busy and you're not aware, but I, I need to let you know I lost my job today. He knew that. Or God, we, you know, we've got this problem or that problem. We don't inform Him. He already knows. But if He already knows our need, then why pray? Jesus just says here, our Father already knows what we need. Why pray? My simple answer is God is a loving Father who wants to bless His children, but He typically waits for His child to ask, as many of us do as dads. And there are many reasons we do that as dads. So that's my simple answer, but I really liked this answer and I couldn't say it better than Ray Pritchard did. So I'm going to give you his answer as we close with this. Why do we pray if God already knows what we need? We've learned here how not to pray, but why do we pray? He said, God doesn't need our prayers, but we need to pray. We need to express our complete dependence on our Heavenly Father. We pray to build our faith. We pray because He is God and we are not. We pray because God has ordained that our prayers are part of His unfolding plan for the universe. There's some good reasons why we pray. And I would also just add, He's asked us to. Let's pray. So Father, we've talked a lot about prayer. Now we come to You acknowledging that You are the awesome Creator God and marveling that You care about us. That You desire for us to pray. You want to hear from us. Marveling that You have opened the way because our sin had blocked that way. Yet through Jesus You have removed the curse and the stain of our sin. Through Jesus, You have removed the barrier between us and You have brought us in. You've made us Your children. And Father, we come now confessing our lack of prayer. For so many of us, we have failed to pray because we are preoccupied, we're busy. We are self-focused, self-centered. Sometimes we've deluded ourselves and think we're self-sufficient. Perhaps we don't pray because we're afraid to pray because we really don't want to know what you think. Lord, there's so many reasons we don't pray. I pray we've been reminded and ask that you would help us to be reminded of the great blessing and privilege that it is to come before you, of our great need for prayer, and that this day and in the weeks to come you will deepen our prayer life, that we might love you more intimately, we might depend upon You more fully. And we might bring our requests to You and see You do great and mighty things among us.
not things that exalt us, and, but, but things that exalt You. Not things even that so much bless us, but things that bless other people. Things that bless You as we pray. So Father, to that end, we commit ourselves and ask Your grace. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen.